Welcome to the TF1 Podcast. This is your host, Trey, and this is the Monaco GP Review. Let's go. So after missing the MLGP, here we are at another race weekend in Monaco. We always know, of course, that Monaco is one of those races that is unlike any other of the races on the calendar. Um, between the glitz and the glamour and the water backdrop and the yachts, we always know Monaco brings about so many challenges for the drivers because you have the barriers. Uh, these cars, you know, keep on getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, Monaco brings all all those elements and those difficulties and those challenges to the drivers, right? So, like I said, we've all been looking forward to this weekend. So, one of the things in, in Monaco that's really crucial for the cars and the drivers and the teams is, as you know, qualifying is a very important aspect of the weekend because it's so difficult to make passes during the race. So one can argue, actually, if you look at the entire F1 calendar, there's probably no track that it, you know, qualifying is, is as important as it is in Monaco because, again, once you qualify in a certain order, it's just so difficult on that street track to make any kind of pass. So during uh, Friday practice, of course, we saw the the trends, the usual trends that happen in practice. Um, it was really interesting and exciting on Friday because this is the first time that we got a glimpse of the big upgrade that Mercedes brought to the W14. So I'll get into that in a little bit of a detail later on. We'll get to that. But, uh, of course, all the photographers, all the other teams, uh, they wanted to see what the that huge upgrade that Mercedes brought. That was, of course, originally for Emila, like I told you guys when we were doing the Monaco preview, when I was doing the Monaco preview. So that's the first time that everybody got a glimpse of the Mercedes package. So that was interesting to see. So gearing up, you know, one of the questions was Alonso had been saying coming into this race that, you know, as a team, this is probably the best chance that Austin Martin will have in order to challenge Red Bull because this is a non-traditional track. You know, the Red Bull usually, you know, has that um, immense straight straight line speed. Well, they can't really utilize that because, of course, Monaco's twisty and turny and it's a street circuit. So there was, you know, heavy interest in what Alonso and Aston Martin were going to do. Okay. So getting to qualifying you had certain teams eliminated in Q1 and Q2. And what was really, really surprising was, one, you started seeing the evolution of the track, you know, really kind of ramping up. But the other shocker was uh, you had Sergio Perez, who literally pushed the car in the very early part of qualifying and he didn't even need to do that he was carrying a lot of speed and he crashed his car 
So, you know, that eliminated very early on one of the Red Bulls really from contention. So, of course, when you do that, obviously, as you guys know, now you've compromised your race for Sunday because, you know, you're going to be literally at the back of the grid. So that was a shocker to see. And so once you pass Q2, now in Q3, there were several different drivers. This was, I would say, one of the most exciting qualifying sessions that we had seen you were looking at drivers pushing to the absolute limit so you saw early on in q3 max setting the pace then in a very unexpected way you saw sonoda at the top of the time sheets and that was a great effort by him i believe that happened in q2 but there was a part of qualifying that he was actually on top of the timesheets, which was really unexpected and surprising. The other unexpected driver who you can tell was really pushing this weekend uh, was Ocon in the Alpine, and he topped the timesheets, and that was really unexpected. Um, as we're going to see as the podcast continues, Alcon had one of the best weekends in that Alpine that he's ever had. He was very competitive. That competitiveness started actually qualifying. And again, in, in Monaco, like I told you guys a little bit earlier, your Sunday work for the race, 60 to 70% of it is actually done and completed on a Saturday. So that's a, unlike other tracks where, you know, you may qualify not the best, but then you can make up ground on Sunday. In Monaco, it's a whole different story. A major part of your race, the effort actually goes on that Saturday and where you line up on the grid. And it was very clear watching qualifying, um, Ocon was pushing extremely hard. Uh, it seemed like the, the the Alpine car, especially under him, was compliant. And so you saw that. Now, the Mercedes cars also made it to Q3, but you can tell between the Ferrari and the Mercedes, even though Sainz was um, setting competitive times, so was Charles Leclerc, but Sainz had a little bit of an edge. Um, it was really close between Alonso who's setting a very competitive time in that Austin Martin and the Red Bull. So you you saw that that crescendo and build up and there was about three minutes left um in Q three and for a second you thought is Alonso because Alonso was pushing extremely hard. You can you can see it on the TV and you saw, you know, we knew coming into this race that Austin Martin really might have been the closest competitor to that Red Bull. And for a split second, you thought, wow, okay, Alonso's now on provisional pole. Is Max going to have enough or is Alonso going to claim his first pole in, I mean, over literally over 10 years? And next thing you know, Max did a lap in Q3, and I mean, the only way I can explain it is even watching the TV, it's one of those rare times where I was looking at him um, accelerate out of the swimming pool area, and you can 
you can actually tell how much and how hard he was pushing because not only was he so close to the walls, but the way he was giving it full power and how he was angling his car, that was one of the best qualifying performances I've ever seen. And he went ahead and topped and and, and grab pole, and you can see, <laughs> I, I I smile because the camera actually panned to the Austin Martin garage to the boys, and the mechanics were were like really disappointed because they really thought they had grabbed pole. And then you looked at the camera in the Red Bull garage when the mechanics are screaming so happy for Verstappen. So. It was a tale of two worlds where, you know, even though the guys were very happy that Alonso was P2, they really thought for a second that he had grabbed poles. So it it was just an unbelievable lap from Max. Um, and, you know, come to find out after the qualifying session, he was actually pushing so hard. He mentioned that, and I didn't necessarily, I don't know if I noticed it on, on the while I was watching it, but he said he actually hit the wall, not once, but twice. And so you can tell and you can just understand how much you have to put on the line and risk it in order to grab pole um, in Monaco. And like I was saying to you guys earlier, Alcon was another guy that you really have to give a lot of credit to because he had a really fantastic qualifying too. So that really set up the race for us. Like I said, it was one of the most um, exciting qualifying sessions. You, you saw the timesheets changing constantly, but that was the outcome. All right. So we come to Sunday. Now with Sunday, as usual, you know, you have the different uh, different teams, you know, that are going to employ different tactics and they're going to, you know, choose which tires that they're going to race for their strategy. Well, what was interesting on Sunday was Austin Martin and Alonso actually decided Sunday morning that they were going to go ahead and not do the usual they were actually going to gamble and they're going to go ahead and start with hard tires. Now, of course, you know, that's unusual. But as Alonzo explained after the race, he said, you know, we knew that we could do the normal strategy, start with mediums or soft like the guys around them and they can get a podium. But he said we were willing to risk it to see what we can do. And that's exactly what they did. Okay, so he was the only one up front that had hard tires. So when the race started, Max was able to hold on. Um, and so Alonzo slotted behind him. So everybody um, kind of kept their race line. It was, you know, good starts from the guys all around, including the Mercedes guys, Russell and Hamilton. And so they had a clean getaway. And of course, at the back of the grid, uh, there were a few skirmishes, but, you know, a lot of times, again, this is what Monaco, you know, brings. It's a very narrow race, and, I mean, very narrow road, so you always have a hard time passing. So everything um, as far as jockeying positions was going, but then 
you had the the basically the ultimate um thing that can turn a race around in Monaco and that was the rain and you know there was a chance of rain coming in but a lot of people thought it was not going to rain so when the rain came of course that turned everything upside down you know that created chaos because now Monaco's already hard enough to drive when it's dry so if you imagine having the wrong tires and driving those narrow streets uh, when it started downpouring it actually came down really fast and got the track really wet so now drivers who didn't have a uh, chance to get into the pits were of course having a, a really hard time i know max actually slid i, I think if i he slightly hit the barrier i believe but it didn't cause damage to his car thankfully so once once that came in there was a lot of chaos happening so one of the teams who decided um like alonzo and austin martin what they did was they went ahead and called him to the pits and actually got on the medium tires now at the time you're looking at that going that's that's really kind of an odd decision because you would have thought if you're getting him in the pits you'd put intermediate tires on so that was really interesting to see the austin martin team and alonzo do that and so they did that and unfortunately that really backfired for alonzo and austin martin because it was very clear once he came out the conditions were definitely not suited for mediums okay so alonzo literally had to come back into the pits again to get intermediates on now he was asked after the race you know could that have been you know the difference maker in him instead of coming second coming in first and his response was pretty um unequivocal that no the you know they really didn't have it may have been closer to the red bull but they really didn't even have enough even if they had employed the right strategy so we saw that playing out uh another driver that was really playing their cards right was Alcon and that Alpine as I said to you guys not only did he do really good in qualifying but even in the race he was able to maintain a very good pace on a day that it was very easy to hit the barriers to hit the walls he really stayed out of trouble um, in fact his uh, his teammate Gasly did not have the best of luck like um, Alcon did now he was actually ended up in ninth he wasn't super happy with the strategy that Alpine employed, but um, Ocon was maintaining a great pace. Now, if we look down the order at the Ferrari cars, now Sainz, uh, you know, was was very aggressive in this race, and he had a really angry exchange on the radio as far as strategy. Um, he also hit a car as well. And so, you know, over the radio, he was very unhappy with the team telling him to come in. And um, his race engineer was explaining to him that they're having him come in uh, to cover for Hamilton, who's behind him and who's putting pressure. And Sainz was responding, I don't care about Hamilton. I don't think this is the correct strategy. So 
it's, it's really um, interesting to see Ferrari still continuing to have communication issues. And while I'm on the topic of Ferrari, we need to mention, so Leclerc, uh, you know, Leclerc, who is his home race, when they were qualifying, he was deemed to have impeded Lando Norris. And if you actually saw the video, it's very clear that Lando Norris was affected. And so he got a three-grid penalty. This is uh, Charles Leclerc for the race. So essentially, he was compromised going into this race before the race even started. And part of the question he was asked after the race, this is Charles Leclerc, was did he get the proper communication in time from the race? So as you can see, both with Sainz and Charles Leclerc, there still seems to be evidently a communication issue within the the Ferrari race team, uh, race team. And that's unfortunate because it's affecting these guys. So, yeah, anyway, you know, Leclerc wasn't really able to do much. He actually ended up sixth, which is the same position he started. Like I said, Sainz was very unhappy with the strategy. Um, both, both these guys, uh, both the Ferrari guys actually ended up, uh, behind the Mercedes in the race. So it was not the best of weekends for Ferrari, but let's come, let's come to Mercedes now. Um, both Hamilton and Russell had another very solid race. I said to you guys at the beginning of the podcast, um, I wanted to, just quickly comment about the the, the highly you know uh, anticipated upgrade that Mercedes brought. Okay, so Mercedes now the the side pod, the zero side pod that they had, which was not giving them the results that they wanted. Now that has changed into a more conventional side pod. Now it's not as Mercedes had told us um, quite a few races ago. It's definitely not just a copy of the Ferrari car. It's actually interesting when you study it more. The the Mercedes concept actually has elements of the Red Bull car. It also has elements of the Ferrari as far as the way um, that the side pods have sinking inlets. And so it really has not only just... Um, a design element of Ferrari, but it's actually closer design-wise to the Alpine car as well. So it, it was really interesting and good to see that. Now, the prevailing question coming in, and I touched on it a little bit, was, you know, why is the Mercedes team bringing, it, uh, bringing this upgrade to Monaco, okay? Because you're really not going to learn a lot because this is a very one-off track you really uh, they're gonna learn a lot more when they actually take it to Barcelona in the next race but one of the reasons for people might not know why it was brought forward because this was these upgrades were originally for Emila that's what they're planned for on the calendar many many weeks ago but of course the Emila GP was canceled as we all know and as a team you can't control that so these changes and these big upgrades, um, there's changes to the suspension that was made. There's changes to the floor. Of course, major changes to the side pod. And for people who may not um, know, 
they also, when you're changing the side pod, you're also making extensive changes to the cooling as well. So these are not small changes. And so once that was bolted in the car, you can't simply now when Emila GP was canceled, you can't just go. There was not enough time to go ahead and take off all the changes that were made to the car and revert back to the old one. So they learned a lot. Now, what was speaking of the upgrades for Mercedes, what was uh, something that happened with the track marshals, and this actually happened not just to Mercedes, but this happened to Red Bull too, was um, during the session, I believe it was either Friday, I believe it was Friday, but um, Hamilton actually damaged the car not now it wasn't a major damage he just kissed the barrier a little bit and it affected the front side of the car um, where the cranes had to immobilize it and grab it and what was really really crazy was so you saw videos of the crane like bring the car up so extremely high and what and it's unfortunate, like I said, that happened with Hamilton's mistake because now what all the photographers at the bottom did was they caught the underbody side of the Mercedes. And this part of these cars, you know, the engineers work six, seven, eight months. This is supposed to be hidden from your competition. So it was very unfortunate Um I think something needs to be done so that this doesn't happen in Monaco again. But it was very unfortunate because, of course, it revealed Mercedes's new floor. And, of course, all these guys are taking hundreds and hundreds of pictures, you know, with their their fast shutter uh, cameras. But if that wasn't enough, when Perez had an accident... Now, his car had to be in the crane. Now, mind you, nobody has really seen the underbody of the Red Bull. So now, the crane did a similar thing as it did to the Mercedes. I don't know why these guys did this, but they raised the car so high to move them. Now, for the first time, people got a glimpse of the underbody of the Red Bull as well. And again, these are parts of these F1 cars that are highly uh confidential and, and are are secretive because that's how you channel the air you know and you do a lot of study to bring in the underbody you know to to design an intricate underbody for these cars so those were uh some interesting things that we did not expect that happened like i said i don't know what the crane operator was thinking because that car, especially the Mercedes, it was hoisted so high um, that that actually prompted the head of Mercedes, Total Wolf. Um, uh, you know, not only was he not happy with that, but he, he said a funny comment. He said the operator of that crane must have some experience in Circus Dole. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was a really nice dig, but they shouldn't have done that. So, you know. Somebody needs to do something about that. But just going back to the race. So that was Mercedes's side of things. Mercedes, um, with the exception of Russell's mistake, which, by the way, was not televised. 
But Russell got a five-second penalty because he rejoined the track unsafe during the race. He made a mistake. And had they had that not happened, Russell could have actually gotten a podium. Um, so and, and Russell commented after the race that he didn't even realize that that mistake was actually not shown. Um, I don't know how the camera people made that mistake, but that was actually not shown. So it was a missed opportunity and Russell was not happy with himself. But both the Mercedes drivers, like they do almost every race, they always maximize. And like I said, they have, by the way, speaking of strategy and, and the mistake Russell did, Mercedes strategy this season, and it's not even talked about, has been really, really on point. Um, they have not put a foot down wrong. They have really maximized on strategy. And because of the exit of Vals, who was the head of strategy for many years with Mercedes, you know, he joined Williams, as we all know, this year. You maybe at the beginning of the season thought, is there going to be a drop off in that department? But I was one of those people that always thought that strategy was actually going to be a-okay and i really thought actually that there might be even more talented people that were going to take the place of vows and that seems to have played out because mercedes strategy like i said has really been on point this season so they actually they meaning mercedes had a jump on alcon and russell could have actually been p3 so um, he was upset with himself. That is Russell. But, the, you know, Mercedes, like I said, had an outstanding result. They were ahead of the Ferraris. And so they ended up finishing fourth and fifth. So that really gave, uh, that really gave them a solid haul of points. Now, we covered, you know, a Ferrari, of course. I, I mentioned Sonoda and the race that he had. Just briefly talking about uh, McLaren. McLaren you know, even though it wasn't the greatest of races, they both, meaning Lando on Oscar, uh, they both landed points for their team. They came in ninth and 10th, so that was good. Um, going down the grid, this was a very tough race for Hulkenberg. He had all kinds of penalties. Um, he also had, uh, he hit a car, so there was another, I believe it was, he had a five second and then a 10 second penalty. So this was not a good race for him. Another driver that had a really rough race was Stroll. And I tell you guys, you know, that Austin Martin car, I, you know, I don't know what these guys in the factory have done to it, but Stroll had, I mean, he's hit the barrier. He had an incident with Perez that finally uh, garnered the car not to finish. But, I mean, he had at least possibly two or three different collusions on that car. And the car was still going until he had, you know, his final situation that stopped him. So he really had um, a bad weekend, you know, especially compared to Alonzo, obviously, who came in second. But you have to say in totality, when you look at everything, um, you know, Nick DeVries had a solid weekend and he needed that because we've we've talked about how much of a rough start he's had. But you have to zero in on the person who really had a weekend to forget and a horrible weekend was Perez. There's not too many chances you're going to get to get close to Max Verstappen. He's already widening his gap. And for 
Perez to make the mistake that he did. Um, Even his race wasn't good. He had incidents with the race. Um, He clipped a car like, you know, it, it just was a very messy thing. He got also criticized by Helmut. Um, obviously one of their leaders in Red Bull. So he didn't do himself any favors. And I, I, you know, we knew that it's always going to be a challenge to go against somebody like Max. I don't think anybody believed that Perez was going to go toe to toe, but there are certain street races that you thought maybe that would be a good chance for Perez to rack up points. And he, he really had a miserable weekend. So is this going to affect him mentally moving forward? I don't know. We just have to see. I don't think any any one of us knows. But hopefully he can bounce back on the other tracks. But I think this weekend, unfortunately, even though it's early in the season, this weekend may have sealed um, any hope that Perez had point-wise to challenge Max Verstappen. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of the Monaco GP review. As always, I want to thank you for listening from every part of the globe. And I wish you all a safe week ahead of the next race. And please, as always, feel free to check out the TF1 podcast Twitter page. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.